Hello, and welcome to another episode of What the Fuck is Wrong with You People. So I'm talking a little bit quiet now. I'll get a little bit louder. I'm walking by people's doors. I don't want to wake them up. Um, my apologies uh, to anybody who has difficulty hearing my podcast. I, I'm sorry. I'm trying to make it a little bit louder. I hope I'm not talking in your ear. Anyway, so this is What the Fuck is Wrong with You People. Um, per, and uh, producing bad video game adaptations. Or, what the fuck is wrong with you people recognizing the qualities of a good adaptation? I'm going to... It'll be like, what the fuck is wrong with you people and video game adaptations, I think is what I'm going to say. So now I've stumbled all over the title. Let me explain why. Um, So I was watching my favorite YouTube creator... Uh, Larry Bundy Jr. He's a very positive uh, video game historian. He sometimes puts minor misleading facts as a form of copyright, similar to how encyclopedias will adjust what they say. So if you repeat something and don't give them credit, they can say, hey, you didn't give us credit. But they're not necessarily horrible misleading facts. They're like... When someone says uh, they sold over 200,000 units, he might say they sold over 210,000 units, right? Uh, When it's all ballpark figure to begin with. Uh, So for the content creators out there, it's a little helpful hint. It's how you can do a form of copyright to identify if somebody's actually quoting you. And you could say, hey, quote me, right? So that's a little helpful hint out there. A little... uh, the more you know type of PSA. Well, he made a joke. It was in jest. And I know him because, I mean, not necessarily I know him personally, but, I mean, that's exactly how his channel goes. Like, he makes uh, a, a kind of a snarky comment saying, um, people didn't really like this except for this reason. But ha ha ha. Punchline to a joke. Well, he used one of my favorite movies as a punchline to a gag. And, uh, obviously I know he didn't, he didn't mean it, but it got me thinking, got me thinking. He said like, uh, people only liked the Chun-Li versus Vega fight because they got to see Chun-Li naked, which is not really true. I mean, I guess in the unedited version, Chun-Li is in the shower and you do see a, a bus shot. I don't have the unedited, for, you know, I have the censored version. PG version. Um, PG version, she's still in the shower. She comes out of the shower. Uh, she's actually being stalked by an assassin for M. Bison's crew called Vega. That's the setup. They had a similar fight in Chun Li Legends or whatever the Legend of Chun Li, <laughs> whatever the live action trash movie. I feel sorry for the actors. They're actually good actors, you know, decent people. Uh, they were in a bad movie, though. Uh, which is re- really sucks because Chun Li is a hero in the Street Fighter 2 universe. You know, like Ryu isn't necessarily a hero, he's just a really good fighter. Chun Li and Guile are actual heroes. You know, um, anyway, so. 
two movies, similar idea. One failed, one didn't. And it's like an elusive formula that producers don't understand. We have the same idea. How come one fight was better than the other? So I want you guys to go look at look these clips up on YouTube. Chun-Li versus Vega, English or Japanese version for animated. Chun-Li versus v- Vega in the uh, Chun-Li, Legend of Chun-Li movie, whatever it is. And I'm going to explain why one, why the animated was so much better than the, uh, the live action. In fact, I'm also going to explain why the American version is better than the Japanese version. They're nearly identical except for one thing. Guile's trying to call her on the phone. And she doesn't hear the phone ring. So the only logical way for that to happen is when she turns on the radio, the music is too loud for her to hear the phone ring. In the, in the Japanese version, they have her playing some like frilly music or soft music. Um, in the American version, they have her playing some rock and roll, right? No idea why they don't have her playing rock and roll in the Japanese because Japanese actually really love rock and roll. <laughs> there are groups that play over in Japan to much bigger audiences and sell out stadiums than they do here. You know, Rick Astley, um, you know, you could call him 80s pop rock. He goes over to Japan frequently, from what I can tell. Um, anyway, so that's the only difference between the Japanese and the American version. Oh, yeah, in the Japanese version, they call Vega Balrog. The American version, he's Vega. Uh, that was a... There's a long history of Capcom screwing with the names of four of its characters... Uh, they interchange the characters' names, literally. It, it, it's it's all because they, they kind of fucked up on the trademarks. <laughs> Which is it's just really funny. Anyway, never mind. Uh, getting back on point. So, one of the points that they make in the animated movie, right before the fight, because if you watch the clip, you're, you're not going to see this point being made. Because I watched through it, and I know it's not there in that particular section, but I know it's set up uh, earlier in the movie. And that is Vega poisons his claws because he has these claws, these three claws that are strapped to the back of his his uh, wrist. And, um, you know, they jut out, kind of like Wolverine's claws. Of You know, Vega had that, you know, I, th- I think he came on after Wolverine. Basically, he has like the Wolverine claws. Uh, but there are traditional kind of fighting claw from Asia. So I, I don't think he was copying Wolverine. Uh, Vega poisons his claws. And he cuts up the women, and then he rapes them, then he murders them. So Vega gets a drop. He's hanging over Chung Li's bed, gets a drop on her, cuts her midway through the fight. You see that she's already seen double. End of the fight. She kicks his head through the wall, literally. And throughout the fight, they do things without explaining. 
In addition, they actually managed to incorporate her moves from the video game. In the video game, they're look, they look like superhuman moves, right? Like when she does her flying bird kick or her hurricane kick, whatever it's called, um, she's upside down spinning. And she has blue flames coming out of her feet. And, and uh, uh, when she does her thousand leg kick, there are blue flames on the tips of her toes and her boots. And she's kicking people in the in the head you know sometimes they light on fire depending on which street fighter you have in this movie though they don't do that they have her do like a headstand when she's getting up and she swings her legs around uh wants to kick him in the face and again you know with the momentum of her getting up and swinging her legs In basically pushing him back. She does her uh, her famous wall jump, right? Where she's where she comes down with her with her heel to land on his face. And she also just kicks the shit out of his face when he's up against the wall. Her thousand leg kick, right? Well, in the video game, her thousand leg kick, you know, you see these after images of her legs moving so fast, you can't really catch them. In this, it's after she's starting to see double. So it's kind of like you see her own, uh, you know, her own mind is kind of getting eaten away by that poison. So she can barely see what's in front of her. And you're seeing the, like the after images, almost as if you're poisoned, you know, or you're seeing it from her position. Her legs just go on back and forth across his face until she kicks him out of the wall. All of these moves, the way they're presented in the anime, look realistic, as if somebody could actually do them, and they probably had somebody model for them as they were drawing uh, as they were drawing the animation. Maybe they rotoscoped some of it, maybe they just took some pictures of, of someone doing something like that, and... Uh, you know, there also, there's also that video on the internet of uh, this woman dressed up as Chun-Li. There are a couple of videos. One of them, she's doing it really slow. Uh, this one woman's doing it really slow for the camera, the thousand leg kick. Uh, the other one, she's actually doing it incredibly fast. This other woman's actually doing it incredibly fast. And it's like, wow, that could actually hurt somebody. <laughs> so um, they portray it in a realistic way it's an intense fight scene that lasts the whole clip is like uh seven minutes when vega starts stalking her but the actual fight is about three minutes and 50 seconds in the live action there's a lot of wire work involved like i don't now granted anime is different than live action anime you can draw people doing impossible things having said that you could have pulled off the same moves in the anime if you were doing live action and had very minimal wire work in the uh in the live action one they have vega cutting through using his metal claws to cut through a metal fence which doesn't make sense. 
they have him sort of flying when he's jumping. In the anime, when she jumps, she's literally jumping only as high as any normal human being can jump. Vega's only jumping as high as any normal human being can jump. Although they play with the with the movie, you know, with the camera angles while doing that to make it look like they're jumping higher. But if you actually, you know, if you look at the scene, because they show you her entire apartment. See, that's the other thing. The setup in the anime, they show the entire apartment as he's walking through the rooms. You're seeing it from his perspective. It's a relatively low ceiling or, or average height of a ceiling. There's no large open space. So you get a feel for the fact it is a confined apartment, relatively, you know, relatively speaking. Obviously, Chun-Li's doing well for herself. She has a nice apartment. Um, she's not extraordinarily rich. But it's not like she has all these you know, lofty 10-foot-tall, 20-foot-tall ceilings. Uh, they're about normal height. Four ceilings in a in a in a room. In so they set everything up so you know the lay of the land. You know that he is a horrible evil person. When you see Chun Li in the shower, you're actually kind of seeing it from Vega's perspective. So it's not a sexual thing. It's like, oh wow, I'm seeing it from the perspective of somebody who's going to try to murder Chun Li. So you have a totally different tone. With everything in that shot and everything in that sequence. And in the uh, live action, you they fight in an alley, but you don't see the whole alley first. You just see her walking into a portion of the alley and then looking around. Oh, there's Vega. And he kind of like jumps or vaults with his wire work. Like... He, it's almost as if you can see the wires, even though the wires are not in the shot. The way he it, the, he moves really slowly up in the air and down. The way he cuts through metal with his metal claws. There's none of that in, in the animated version. And the way she strikes him, it's slow. It's cumbersome. It feels like, I mean, these people are top grade martial artists, but it feels like they were so afraid of hurting each other. They pulled their punches so much. They weren't able to give us a real fight. I think there were maybe 20 or 30 blows in the, and that includes block blows and missed blows in the live action. And she kicks uh, Vega's mask and then she kicks it off. And like that's the only thing she really does to him. In the animated, she grinds her heel into his face. And then literally beats his head through the wall. When she's kicking him. And animated one, she does have to go to the hospital. But she, I mean, it's literally a situation where... She should say, I mean, she's basically saying, you should see what the, looks, how the other guy looks, right? So it's a vicious fight. Vega falls or is kicked, he falls, he's kicked out of the wall of her apartment through repeated blows. I mean, she just beats him through the drywall and falls at least 10 or more feet outside in, into the alleyway. 
uh, Vega's not going to be moving too too well in the morning either. Like Shadaloo uh, must have a hell of a healthcare plan in order to take care of him and his face. Um, so even though she winds up in the hospital, she beats the living crap out of him. I mean, it's an actual fight. In the live action, I think maybe she's punched once. And Vega gives up after having his mask kicked off. It's very weak. It's not even the only thing that's good about it is like the symbolic act of her kicking his mask off. And I want to stress there the two, the same two types of fights, right? Or it's, it's the same. These two pitches are almost identical. Vega is hunting Chun-Li. Vega takes the first strike. Chun-Li avoids it. Vega gets in a lucky shot. Chun-Li hits him. He tries to hit her some more. And then Chun-Li kicks him away. Because she kicks his his, his face in, the, in live action too. Um, and it, it causes him to leave. In the anime, it looks like it's a real fight. Only these cartoon characters are apparently cartoons. In the live action, it looks cartoonish because of the wire work involved, the lack of conviction in the punches. I mean, when when Chun-Li puts her heel into Vega's face and twists it and then jumps off, that's after she, she lands on him. You could, you could tell that she has her weight of her skill, her body, and her heel in that strike. And you can't help but say, oh, it's a cartoon. You say, oh. In the movie, she kicks Chun, she kicks, uh, Chun Li kicks uh, Vega's mask off, and you say, okay, so now what? Like, nothing happened to Vega. He loses his pretty little mask, which is oversized. Looks ridiculous uh, to begin with. Doesn't look like a... <laughs> looks like... He looks like a nine-year-old wearing an adult mask, right? So it doesn't even fit his face. Which would undoubtedly cause some serious sight problems. In the anime, they use the mask for, the, for Capcom, which is a very tight-fitting mask kind of like uh the uh, french goalie mask that you guys would know as the jason mask kind of like that so it's like the entire staging same pitch handled differently and it feels weird that the cartoon is looks more realistic than the live action and that's the way a lot of video game translations go. People are afraid to commit to the part. People are afraid to have a conflict be an actual conflict where they take it seriously. Um, and, and then you, you have like the camp style. 
See, I actually really like the Van Damme Street Fighter movie. Don't hate me, please. I want to explain why I like the Van Damme Street Fighter movie. It's just like Batman 1966. It's like an Adam West Batman. If you look at it like it's meant to be camp, it's meant to be goofy, it's not meant to be taken seriously. If you change your mentality to look at that, you can say, oh, well, they're having fun with it. Like Van Damme yells, Sonic Boom, or or something like that, or... or well, he yells something. I, Sonic Boom's his 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 different attack. Um, uh, God, what's his what's his kick? Flash kick? I don't know. He he says something when he does a flash kick, or or is, you know, that's actually kind of funny, and I enjoyed it. And Raul Julia's he actually loved making the movie. Right, it's one of the last things, one of the last two things he ever did. He loved it because he loved it was camp. He loved it was goofy. He loved it was fun. Chun-Li legends, they don't know where to go. They don't go the goofy route, but they don't commit to having a serious fight. Mortal Kombat commits to a serious fight. Mortal Kombat Annihilation goes goofy, but it's not camp goofy. It's like four-year-old. We're going to make people look bad, like they're bad people, and ooh, they're going to overact with bad costuming. Um, Street Fighter, the movie with Van Damme and Kylie Minogue, I know a lot of people hate it. I think they wanted something more serious, like Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat went serious. They committed to the part. There are goofy, weird things that happen, but they take it all seriously and they make sure that the fight scenes pay off. They make sure that the set design pays off. They make sure that the costuming pays off. They don't skimp on costuming. They don't skip on anything. They take it seriously and they go seriously with it. They deliver the lines like Shang Tsung delivers his lines. Your soul is mine. <laughs> That's a ridiculous thing to say. Shang Tsung sells it because he takes it seriously. Um, Street Fighter II, the movie, it went camp like Batman. They wanted to make it like goofy fun. Like you're just having fun at the arcade. I enjoyed that. I understood what they were going for. I understand why other people didn't like it. There are a lot of people that hate 1966 Batman for that very reason. And maybe I shouldn't be calling it camp. You know, because it's not really camp in the traditional sense. It's more just stupid fun, right? Street Fighter 2, the animated movie, they took it seriously the whole way. It was an animated movie, but they didn't use that as an excuse for it to be shit. Which, unfortunately, cannot be said for the vast majority of the other animated movies or productions for Street Fighter that are out there. And I think that's the whole problem. They took everything seriously. And people who translate, you can do it one of two ways. You can take it seriously. You can do it the way it's meant to be. You can choose not to skimp on quality. No, that takes not good enough. Oh, I think it's good enough. No, it's not. Do it again.
eh, this line is crap, but uh, that's good enough. They'll accept it. No, write a better line. Or you can do it the camp style. Hey, listen, you know, I'm going to just kind of make E-Honda uh, fat Hawaiian Japanese descent. Uh, Chun-Li's going to be a reporter. We're going to have some fun with it. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Here's another translation. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie. They went serious. I mean, how ridiculous is it to have animatronic turtle costumes fight ninjas in New York City. It's fucking stupid of an idea. If you think about it. If you say, okay, let's just suspension of disbelief here. There are ninjas, and we got some mutant turtles. We're going to have them be animatronic. And it's going to be a serious show. And uh, they're out there to save people's lives, and uh, you're going to cheer them on because they're the damn heroes. That's what they did. That's how they sold it. That's why that first movie is so fun. And you know what? This, the Michael Bay's second Turtle movie, because Michael Bay's first Turtle movie suffered from him not wanting to respect the source material. So he didn't respect it at all. He tried to make them aliens. They wound up uh, having to reshoot an hour or replan uh, like an hour of the whole um, movie. Uh, it was, what was it, three to five months of redoing all the pre-production and some of the production. They brought Kevin Eastman in in order to try and fix it. So the first movie was hampered by the, by the shadow of Michael Bay saying, oh, it's going to be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, only they're not teens and they're not turtles. They're aliens who are frogs from outer space. Like, fuck, dude, why don't you just make Battletoads, first of all? Um, he was told, basically, piss off. He's not allowed to do that. Second Turtle movie, he walked in knowing that he has to take the source material seriously. And I actually really like the second movie. Of course, he wasn't directly involved with the second movie. But you know why? Because they took it seriously. They said, okay, we're just going to accept that this mutagen exists. We're going to accept that we're going to have a talking rhino and a talking boar. And uh, uh, they're going to be stupid as hell. But uh, there's gonna, we're going to go whole hog into it. You're going to feel the weight of the production. You're going to feel the weight of the battles. It's not going to look like... It's not going to feel like CG. It's going to feel like people are actually fighting. And we're going to have an alien invasion that's stopped. That was actually a really good movie from a turtle standpoint. Then you have the original cartoon Turtles, which was done in a sort of camp way. Because it's done for cartoons. It was done for fun. So that's the problem with adaptations. A lot of times people don't understand. You have to embrace the material. And you either have to embrace the material and make it something beautiful, or you have to brace the material and make it something that's just stupid fun to enjoy, where people uh, love the lines that they're saying, and they'll deliver the lines that they're saying with conviction and positive reinforcement of, this is something to love. Superman 2, General Zod. 
rise before Zod. Good. Now kneel before Zod. That whole line. How ridiculous and stupid that entire thing is. Like, Zod doesn't even know where the hell he is. He's asking, he asks the people where he is. And, uh, you know, the director, the director who replaced replaced Richard Donner really did bungle up a lot of it. Um, Like Houston and Idaho with people who have Southern accents. I mean, that's all messed up. Uh, uh, Zod says, where is, where am I? You are in Houston. Oh, take me to your leader of this planet, Houston. Normally that'd be something funny to laugh at. But Zod, you already know, he will fucking snap your neck if you laugh at it. It's like, oh, you guys better get out of the way. He's going to just blow this whole place out. You know, that's because they, Terrence Stamp, despite the fucking up with the directors, despite the, the, uh, that, that whole scene kind of just being screwed up, especially the little boy who says, please, sir, don't hurt my daddy in the thickest English accent possible in a place that has a bunch of Southerners in Idaho. Everything about that scene is wrong. But Terrence Stamp and the woman who plays Ursa, oh God, I forgot her name now. And uh, the actor who plays Non, they just kind of stand out there in their black pajamas and fuck, they mean business. It's because they embrace the part. Terrence Stamp was, I'm General Zod, I'm here to destroy you or make you kneel. You don't fucking argue with Terrence Stamp when he does that. And he is short. You have a short intergalactic alien that can break every person's bone in a hundred miles. And he takes it, he owns it, and he is... He is the villain. From his perspective, he's not the villain. That's why he owns it. He doesn't need to explain himself. Heroes don't explain themselves. Man of Steel, you have General Saad, who has to explain himself. Then he knows he's not a fucking hero. He knows he's a goddamn villain. That was the failing of that General Zod. They did embrace General Zod as the villain that he was. So if you want to make a translation, if you want to know what the difference is between a good translation and a bad translation, or an adaptation, I should say, um, you know, interchangeable words, Watch the Chun-Li fight. Watch the Chun-Li fight, animated versus Chun-Li fight, um, you know, versus Vega, both of them, in the Legends of Chun-Li. Watch both of them. And you can see the difference between embracing the entire concept of everything about the source material versus play acting the source material.
That's the difference. And as far as people go about whether or not they like camp productions, I, I have met people that, I mean, they, they love everything good about Batman, but they cannot stand to watch Adam West because they don't get it. It's not mocking Batman. It's just kind of embracing the imagery and embracing the good goodness of the character. Um, well, having fun and just enjoying, enjoying anything that's fun about it. Embracing the enjoyment. And I think that that it holds true for Street Fighter the movie. You know, um, although fans wanted, that's the other thing. Fans wanted to see something else. Oh, one final thought before I go. This is actually a long one. Um, sorry about that. Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog is not the first, and it won't be the last time that fans are upset with an adaptation. Uh, fans being upset with adaptations or creative directions have existed uh, since the dawn of, of storytelling. Um, the, one of the most famous fan interferences was fans demanding that Sherlock Holmes be brought back from the dead. That's the early 1900s. There was no internet. Uh, then there was uh, the Falcon issue. You know, uh, the Falcon was a character developed after RKO lost the rights for the Saint. Uh, they killed the Falcon and instead replaced him with his brother. Um, that time the fans were wrong. The brother was actually better. Uh, then there was Spock. The fans were half right. Instead of killing Spock at the very beginning of Wrath of Khan, they killed him at the very end with the promise that he would come back in the third movie. So the storyteller got to tell the search for Spock story on the condition that the fans were given a proper hefty story before. In each one of these cases, it was about love and respect for the material. And Sonic the Hedgehog, that was a case of love and respect for the material. When you had Human Teeth Sonic, even Eddie Murphy made fun of it on Saturday Night Live with the Holiday Baking Contest skit. Look that one up if you haven't already. Eddie Murphy just roasts Sonic. My God, it's easily the best Eddie Murphy skit I've ever seen in my life. And yes, I'm, I am saying it is better than Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. It is better than Buckwheat. It is better than anything else he has ever done on Saturday Night Live because it, as old as that man is, he knew, he knew the situation. Well, Human Teeth Sonic, they didn't embrace Sonic. They wanted to change Sonic into some weird toddler-like shaped thing. And that was absolutely terrible. So they decided to pay the special effects people. And here's another something else. Uh, there's a rumor going around that special effects people were forced to work unpaid for four months to fix Sonic. They were actually paid four extra months. They were contract workers. Their jobs were over when that trailer was first released. They were rehired by Paramount, paid extra money, to work for four more months. 
a lot of people then say they were fired right before Christmas. No, they weren't fired. They were contract employees. Their contracts expired. So want to get that out there. Um, all of the VFX artists who worked on Sonic said, no, um, we weren't fired. We actually had an extended contract where we were paid more money. So we were actually given bonuses for the rest of the year. We were given guaranteed work. So I want to get that out there. Uh, spread that news around, will you? Uh, so uh, the first Sonic had like this weird toddler face, human face, and everything just didn't fit well. That's because they didn't embrace the character. You can't have Sonic unless you embrace the character. You can't have an adaptation unless you embrace it. And by embracing it, you take what it is at its core and you amplify it and you say it's ours without going too, um, too far over. Just hitting that sweet mark where you say, we are going to deliver to you the best experience that we believe is possible. And we're going to make sure it is the experience that represents what you have seen. You know, Sonic actually has a multiverse. So there are lots of different Sonic creations out there. Uh, this is one of them. It's not going to be the story from this video game because there is no the story from the video game. Archie Comics established that there are multiple Sonic universes. Um, and so they, they were told by the fans that that was not acceptable what they put out there, that it, they did not embrace Sonic. So they went back, they looked at Sonic, they realized making Sonic look human is not embracing Sonic because Sonic is not human. Sonic is a mutated or evolved hedgehog. He's a hedgehog who loves chili dogs and can break the sound barrier. Okay, we're just going to embrace the hedgehog in Sonic. Because when they had him dressed up as a human, they were not embracing Sonic. They were embracing somebody dressed up as Sonic the Hedgehog, a little human. No, they had to go back, they had to redo it. And they embrace Sonic. In fact, they actually added stuff to it. And it turned out to be one of the highest... It, it was the highest grossing video game movie of all time. Biggest budgeted video game movie of all time. Um, biggest profit return of a video game movie of all time. Beat out Tomb Raider, Laura Croft. Uh... The first, the first term, Tomb Raider, Angelina Jolie, I believe they, they, they embraced it. I believe that was a wonderful adaptation. I also like the new Tomb Raider. I think that they embraced it. I think there are some major plot holes, but the character, I love the actress, love the character. I think she embraced it. Um, wasn't a big hit, but you know, not everything can be a big hit. So I just wanted to get my thoughts out there about adaptations. Uh, the Chun-Li fight is beloved by people, not because it has fan service. Everything about that fight is natural in its evolution. She's coming out of the shower. She's dressed in her bed clothes. She has to face this rapist murderer, Vega. And she beats the living fuck out of him. Live action, she plays with his mask. So, that's what I wanted to say. 
when adaptations go right, when they go wrong. What are your favorite adaptations? Uh, what are you know? What are adaptations that you believe gave a good solid try? Even if they didn't hit the mark with the fans, at least they gave a good solid try. You know, another one I think is. Uh, <laughs> I'll just leave this for you. Uh, uh, and two other adaptations to consider: Flash Gordon the movie, versus a recent movie, you know, the nineteen eighty movie. Uh, Flash Gordon was an adaptation from the comic book. Let me remind you guys that. There have been a serial, Flash Gordon serial, Flash Gordon um, TV shows. Which do you think is more faithful to the comic? Comic was actually uh, a statement about our refusal to help against the Japanese imperialism colonizing the Asian Pacific seaboard and, uh, among other things, creating a horrific horrific series of genocides under one rule, ruler, one crazed emperor. Um, it was not a yellow scare comic. It was actually a political statement about us not getting involved with people who we had sworn to protect after the Indochina Wars. Uh, that's really what the comic was about. Uh, do you think any comic book adaptation has even tried you know comic book to movie adaptation or or whatever has even tried to get that across to help those who are being oppressed there is the serials with buster crab there i actually really enjoy those uh there's the movie dino de laurentis there are numerous cartoons and then there is that TV show on, aired on sci-fi. Which do you think embraced Flash Gordon without having to apologize for it or feel embarrassed for it? So a lot, of, a lot to consider. And this all started out with me talking about Chun-Li. Uh, so I hope that you guys check it out. This is my, these are my views on adaptations. Um, obviously, even if you embrace something fully, it may not be a success. There's always a risk. There's no guaranteed formula, but uh, I, except for one, there's a guaranteed formula to lose the audience and the guarantee to lose your audience is to disrespect the material. If you want a shot, you got to respect it. So my voice is going out. I've been talking so long. It's hoarse. It's probably gotten really soft. I hope it doesn't sound like I'm talking in your ear. Hope you understand what I'm saying. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Take care.